And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Wow. It's a powerful passage. So again, my heart is, is, is torn in two different places from this visit. And as I pondered just being there yesterday at the funeral and the viewing the day before, and, and you're, you're seeing all these different people that I haven't seen in a long time, and you're talking and you're hearing the stories, and you start to get a little deeper. You know how it is, and you start to hear some pains. You start to hear some sad stories. You, you start to remember some things as you're there, and you start to ponder the the course of, a, of an entire group of people, an entire work and that type of a thing. And it just, it grips you in a way that's, that's powerful. I guess it is, particularly when you get older, it, it begins to, do you start to see the, the, the arc of history a little bit and start to see the consequences of ideas and the things that, that people have stood for and, and things that, they are, that they're doing. And you think of this passage, <laughs> There is no other foundation than anyone can lay than, than Jesus Christ. And that bedrock, that, that piece there has to be so much for us to understand and so much to, to make sure we understand as we build upon that foundation in Christ. And then in your life and all that we serve and all that we're doing and all of the process, and it comes to a time and. And where we are coming, we'll all stand before the judgment seat and we'll all end up where our brother Mose ended up uh, yesterday in the ground. And unless the Lord comes uh, before then, that's where we're going to be. And we're going to have our works and, our, and our, our life on display. And I thank you, Brother Floyd, for that challenging. Are you looking forward to this day? Is this your reward or is this your fear? It's a good challenge. Now, I, I, I come to Scripture, and I don't know why it's, it's happened, something I latched on to, um, but I, I look at Scripture what's considered like a historical theologian. <laughs> and not that I'm a history guy, and let me ex ex show you how I mean that. I use an acronym, and it's called SCAR. Um, it's, uh, I imagine myself as Thomas. Jesus... You know, he's, he's before Jesus, and, he's, and Thomas is doubting, and Thomas has to say, show me your scar. And so Thomas doesn't believe until he sees, and so I see myself many times like Thomas, and Thomas finally got it. So I see this scar. <laughs> That's the story of my life here, I should. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's an easy acronym. It's okay. So SCAR, S would stand for scripture. Scripture. And I believe, and we need to understand this very fully, that nothing, scripture is the primary. There's no early church writing. There's no Anabaptist writing. There's no modern speaker. There's no nothing that can ever replace the word of God. It is divine. It is inspired. And it is the word of God. 
And we, and we have to be very careful not to ever let anything else replace the word of God, even in our hearts and our minds. And, and particularly historians can, can need to be this way and, and future people. Um, but the, the idea that, that the word of God is so important to us that we, we just need to make sure and continually remind us. Lots of people have opinions and lots of different study aids. The, the, we all should be Bible scholars. We come to the Word of God, the Bible, and we use different ways to, to let the Bible enlighten us. And some people take Greek and Hebrew, and, and that's great, and that's very good discipline. And so you take the Greek, and you say, well, in the Greek, we can see some of these things, and we see some of these, these Hebrew things. I, I challenge from history and say, yeah, you could say that in the Greek, but why does the early church not even ever mention that? And they spoke Greek. But all of it needs to be come and be subject to the Word of God. Nothing, no matter what study aid we use, whether it's history or study guides or whatever things or just our discernment, the word of God is paramount. It is the scripture, is the S in, in the scar. The C is Christocentric. It is Jesus Christ. And we read the word of God with Jesus Christ as the interpreter of everything. We read the Old Testament looking to Jesus Christ. We read the New Testament looking back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our salvation. Jesus Christ is our answer. Jesus Christ wants you to be the body of Christ on this earth. It is Jesus Christ. And so a Christocentric understanding of the reading of Scripture needs to be understood. And that helps us even when we discuss things like with our evangelical friends and things like this, reading the Old Testament, we read up to, with pointing to Christ. And when we read like what we read in Revelation today, we read Christ in every bit of that. The C is Christ. S-C-A. <laughs> A is antiquity. And this is where my history part comes in there. I am suspect of newish things. I'm suspect of it. And so I look to the early Christians, and it's been, it's, even when Tanya and I were becoming conscience objectors in, the early, uh, in, in our early part of our walk in, in Germany as soldiers, and as we looked at that, I, I looked at to antiquity, and I like to see how the early Christians um, behave and how they, they interpreted Scripture. And you know what I found when, when Tanya and I began to read the early church? They just believed it in a very literal way. When, when Jesus said, love your enemies, or you shouldn't divorce or remarried, or you're, you're not should have oaths, or these types of things, they just received it at face value. And the simplicity and the purity of it uh, comes out. And that's that what's led us to the early church. Matter of fact, one, I mean, both to the early church and to the Anabaptists. As a matter of fact, one of the early Anabaptists, uh, one of the earliest, Conrad Grebel, I love a couple quotes that he has in his letter, um, writing to his friend Vadian, who was not joining the Anabaptists and was sort of compromising, he told him, I believe the word of God without a complicated interpretation. And out of that I speak. And then he also said something very profound in a different letter to Vadian. He said, I believe the words of Jesus are meant to be put into practice. He said the words of our Lord are meant to be put into practice. And that seems very simple to us, and I'm glad that it does, because it is, but it's not easy. The words of Jesus are simple, but they're not easy. 
And that antiquity I've always been very blessed with. And, and so I, I, I naturally wonder. I, I don't put, there's many things in the early church that I would disagree with, and none of it can ever replace Scripture. But it, it instructs me, just like somebody would use a Greek commentary or Hebrew commentary. I have always been attracted to the, the, the ancient and as a commentary, but never replace the Word of God. S-C-A-N-R. And then the R is real. <laughs> real. The, my hermeneutic that I use to interpret Scripture, the last one is real. And I tell you what, as I get older, the R becomes more and more stronger. And I'll tell you this is why. I can't tell you how many what I call coffee table revivals I've been a part of. <laughs> coffee table revivals where you get a bunch of people and you get together and they have every cure for everything that's wrong with the church and it just exists right around this coffee table. You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, does, is that, does that even exist? Has it ever existed? And, is, and are you just a visionary with some things? But, but that God works within real people, real communities, real people on this earth I, is important to me. And as I get older, it becomes more and more important. I, I'm a visionary, so I, I see the weakness of being a visionary. The visionary's problems are that you can live in your vision your entire life and never realize that it never existed. That's the that's downfall of visionaries. We need the solid rock brothers in the church to say, yeah, that's a great idea. It doesn't exist. And that's good for us. Real is something that I bring into my scar. Let's, Dean, let's bring it into reality. And so as I come in these, these scriptures and then I ponder the arc of history as we see it now even in my lifetime, and I consider both the closing of, of Brother uh, Moses' life, and I think of our work in Greece, I ponder the scripture. For no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ, and that we should be careful how we build upon that foundation. The, uh, the, the work in Greece is doing remarkable. Let me take a moment here now and tell you a little bit about that. And, and after the Sunday, to, uh, after the service today, we're going to have a, a little um, video conference with the, 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 the Greek brothers over there and sisters and going to talk over at Brother Marcus's house. And we would do this. And I want you to know, I have been, it's been complicated with Joanna's health and coming and all those types of things. And I want to say that you have been remarkably patient and, and um, working through some of those difficult situations. But I do want to report that I, I have been very faithful in, in, in keeping up with them and with, almost without, with some exceptions, but, but very regularly, I, meet, I spend two hours every Wednesday morning with a video conference with the Greek church there, every single Wednesday morning. And it's, it's, uh, it's good for me. I know when those guys get haircuts, <laughs> you know. It, and it's amazing with our, with our technology now that um, it just seems very natural. Hopefully, we're hoping to make it back over there this summer, Lord willing. I was going to say COVID permitting, but I'll say Lord willing, <laughs> um, that we plan to be over there again. There has been some remarkable things. It's been a very challenging year, not to mention why we went through the year before with Joanna and and her health, and then coming with all those things. And now, coming up to this year has been complicated. Um, before, um, before we got into the whole COVID thing, the, the, there was a more and more uprising about the increasing size of Camp Moria. If you recall, our base is walking distance. I mean, 
much closer than here and faith, um, school, is where the Mor Camp Moria is and where you know, our base is. And as we're there, um, the Camp Moria keeps growing and it keeps growing. And so it's, it was just getting what suits 2,000 to 3,000 comfortably was now 20,000 at the end, beginning of this, of, this, of this year. And, and so the Greeks were about having enough of this. And I don't particularly blame them. You know, I, as two kingdom Christians, we can kind of understand both sides of the coin. You know, I, there, we are there and we're there passionately ministering to the opportunity of, of, what, of the Muslims. But I'm not at all naive to think that these Muslims invading Europe is going to be a difficulty. <laughs> So I'm compassionate with the Greeks. I, they're stealing from them. They stole from us at our place in there um, numerous times. And they got sick of this, and finally the Greeks said, we didn't sign up to be a prison island. We've had enough of it. And, and Greece said, well, we're going to start another base in the center of Lesbos. And they said, we're not going to have it. And literally they came out with bulldozers off the ferry into uh, Lesbos, and the Greeks met them with protest, uh, throwing bottles of, they call it a, a Maltov cocktail. It's like a bunch of alcohol in a bottle that was fire against the bulldozers. And protested this, said, you're not going to do another camp on Lesbos Island. Enough of it. They burnt down a refugee-ran uh, NGO, which was a very nice one, up on the hill on the other side of where our, our, our place is. And this was a, they think it was the Greek arsons that did this. And feelings were getting pretty tough for us over there, talking to them. And then, in the midst of all that, uh, so there was a, a protest with the refugees now, protesting to this, and the Greeks had done tear gas and these things, and it was getting pretty bad. And then right in the midst of these things, COVID lockdown. <laughs> and so you see the, the hand of the Lord working in, in marvelous and different ways, and it sort of just calmed everybody down and nobody was able to do anywhere or go anywhere and, and it's very serious there they'll drive around and give you a 150 euro ticket um, for driving around without a permit and so we were locked down and we kept thinking like all of us did oh, this thing will be over in a couple weeks right I mean you know let's just hunker down we'll stay in there you know we'll, we'll be over in a couple weeks and over and over and over and over this thing keeps continuing and finally um, it, it, it hit, and we started knowing, knowing not what to do. So we kept having people come, but right at our base, right across the street, they decided to put a police, little mini police station to police the, the, uh, the coming in and going of the refugees. And so I was talking to the brothers. They said they put the police right outside the gate. I was like, okay, all right, Lord. So what do we do? Let's start making masks. So we started, <laughs> instead of having church, we had mask making. And so they all came and we began to make masks and begin things. But it affected us and it affected, of course, the size and the growth. Before this, right before this happened, the brothers were, were calling me saying, it's just getting so overwhelming. There's so much response. We hardly know what to do. We needed to kind of either get some more people over there or tone it down a bit. And we were actually having those conversations. After COVID, it became very uh, much died down. So, so we did that, and now it got locked down, it's been locked down, it's been locked down for a long time, until some refugees got COVID in Camp Moria. And the Greeks came in and said, well, we're going to put you in quarantine. And these young refugees said, oh, no, you're not. 
and they burnt down Camp Moria. And they burn it, and they, then they came and put it out, and they burn it down the next day. And they put it out, and they came back and burned it down the following day until it is burnt down to the ground completely. 20,000 people, a whole city that was there, all these things that was there burnt down to the ground. Um, all of our people were safe. Everybody was, was doing well there. So in the meantime, we've, as you have all know, we've had some incredible difficulty in getting visas and getting um, things like this. And, and Randall and Althea, the, what we've been working on is trying to do this golden visa, which what this means is that we, we have to purchase a property um, in their name to get them a visa. We have tried every other thing with Christian Aid Ministry. We've tried... Um, education visa. We've tried um, business visas. We've tried NGO visas. We, of course, didn't even try religious visas. We knew that wasn't a choice. And finally, we had decided before Camp Moria burned down that this was what, was it, was what we were going to do. We had prayed through this. We talked about it. Randall had visited Thessaloniki to look at some different places to purchase some property. And and he did so, and we had decided one, had it passed through the administration at Christian Aid Ministry, and then Camp Moria burnt down. <laughs> and I was so thankful that we had prayed through this and talked about, it, well, what are we going to do with all the different scenarios and talk through this before Camp Moria burned down? So now we had gone through, and we decided to press forward. And so we did that. We were rejected uh, one time. Uh, Randall was rejected one time a little bit, and then following that, we um, finally, as you hopefully have heard, just this week, we've got the, it was passed, and, uh, and so the, the deed to the house in Thessaloniki has gone through, which we're just going to rent as just kind of a space holder to give Randall and Althea the, the permission, and then to register for the, the uh, they're now registered residency there in Greek. And I want you to, to, I want you to grasp actually how significant this is. Because all the thousands, and literally thousands, of Mennonite and Beachy and different people, charity people that have gone over there and volunteered, no, none of them have pulled off a, visa, a permanent residency yet. So I want you to realize that. Of the thousands and thousands and perhaps close to at least thousands of refugees, without exaggeration, that have come to Christ, no church has been planted and so our burden that we brought here and what your burden, you joined with that burden, the burden of Mine Road has been we are very blessed with what's happening through I-58, with the different things, with evangelism, but we feel a calling to try to bring long-term discipleship and church planting um, to this work. And this, what happened this week, is a, an incredible step towards that. So now we have the Yoders that are there from Ireland, the, the Beachy Amish Church in Ireland. They have the Yoder family that are there permanently. And now we have Randall and Althea, which are there permanently. And there's also another couple, um, a, a uh, masked girl, uh, married uh, our translator. <laughs> and so they're now there and in, in semi-permanently. And so this gives us a nice little core to, to be going there. So now what do we do, though? Moria's burnt down. We're there to disciple. We're there to make disciples. But one thing we've noticed, again, our burden is long-term. Our burden is to create um, lasting community. I talked to the, the church in Athens 
went to talk to Eric and Kate, and I said, okay, you're in Athens. Is it any better in Athens? He said, Dean, I've been here nine months. This is when he, it was a few months ago. I'd been here nine months, and in those nine months, I've had three complete turnovers of refugees in Athens. So it's not just Lesbos. It's constantly turning. And so I said, okay, uh, so it's, it's not going to just help us to do that. So what are we going to do? So we really we prayed and we got together and we thought about the different ways that we could do this. And how do we do church as Anabaptists? What are the deeper things that we do? And we really think it has a lot to do with our entire life. It's, it's not just about a, a doctrinal class or a teaching or something like that. So we began to, to ponder these things. And, and what's an alternative? So Randall had the idea of, of doing like, if we could get some land and have them um, learn some skills. And then so what we're trying, and this is going to be the thing that we're going to be talking at the mission board today, is literally we're going to be working at doing some farming over there. And the dream would be that we'll do a two-year course. This will be a, a, a class, if you would, a, a, a vocational class, where we're hoping to have the refugees learn some business skills, some um, savings. We're working with Gary Miller with also some different things and to be able to save some money and learn some farming skills that, we, that they could get like four or five or six refugee families, rent some land, and to be able to survive on that land doing some farming and, 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 and renting it. And that's our dream that we're working at and praying through right now. And that's, that's, that's very brand new. The idea that we'll create something lasting that they'll, they'll stay there, they'll be there, they'll begin to put some roots and, and learn to save some money and learn to be responsible and, and be families and, and then have long-term discipleship in church. And that's the goal. And so as we ponder these things, it's, um, it's, it's very exciting. But that bliss, <laughs> that excitement, that... Uh, the mixed the, the, of the different complicating things of the world. And again, it brings me to this, even here today, this weekend, of this verse again. Let's read it again. Now pondering the closing of, of a life of someone like Brother Mose and this brand new work that Mine Road is involved with and what we're doing there in Greece. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, uh, so, so at Sattler College, I'm learn I, Finney and I and Zach want to be the people who are teaching the theology classes and teaching the Bible classes and the history. So I had to go back to school. And so currently, I'm getting some classes in historical theology so that I can teach. And in that, um, it's been fascinating. And so one of the biggest questions people ask me is, well, Dean, how are you going to be different than Goshen? How many of you are going to be different than Eastern Mennonite College? I said, you know, that's an excellent question. And it's such an excellent question then I'm going to make it my doctrinal study. The way these doctor programs are, which is a little silly, but I, it's the way it is, you, you have to end up writing this you, this, you do all of your study, and then you have a, basically a book that you write, which is so pinpoint that's so boring that nobody reads. But anyway, you study some specific thing that is very detailed, 
And you're going to spend your time becoming an expert on that thought. And so I thought, well, what's my most common question? What's that question that's brought to me? So I'm going to study the church and the college from 1900 to 1950, the Mennonite College. And again, that's brought me into now reading the primary sources. I went up to Goshen and I literally went through letters from men, pastors, Mennonite bishops, writing letters and back and forth and, and saw the Mennonite church of 1920 and, and studied it. And again, it makes me just stand there and ponder, walk, walking it, watching it walk into World War I and World War II and, and how did the church respond to these things and seeing that arc of history. How did they plant what they planted, and where is it going? Like this passage. You know what I found out? And in the 1800s, coming out of the 1800s, after the Civil War, we Anabaptists were getting pretty weak with a lot of our very distinctive Christ-following teachings. For instance, non-resistance was slipping. And Germany uh, and, and Ukraine, it was slipping by another whole generation before it, had, had lost it. The, the German Mennonites during the time of, of, of Adolf Hitler, and they had already, the generation before them, had already slipped with non-resistance, and by the time you get to Adolf Hitler, it had almost gone. As a matter of fact, I found a telegram with this passage at the bottom of it, written by the Council of Mennonite, uh, uh, a whole, the whole Mennonite conferences of North Germany and and, and Danzig and, and writing a letter wanting to completely say we give our zealous support to you Adolf Hitler because no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is in Jesus Christ and I pondered that and I thought these brothers meant well <laughs> we must be careful how we plant we must be careful what does that mean when we talk about Jesus and this is why I say that, that when I look at my, my scar, the Christocentric, it is Jesus. It is Jesus that we are wanting to bring to this world. It's Jesus, not some uh, ideology that, that can get wrapped up in, in different things and different uh, tangents. When I read through those histories and I read through uh, watching the drift and watching the compromise and watching those things, when I think of burying Brother Mose and, and the different things of, of watching that generation come and go, it just gives me a sobering spirit, a sobered spirit. And now I ponder our work, brand spanking new work, with people who have no, no work, no idea of, of a history of Christianity. I show them the Bible for the first time, and they've never seen a Bible before. They've never seen a a baptism, never seen these things, and there they are. So what are we planting? What are we doing? How are we going to be careful? And it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly important question. How are we going to build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ? Now, if any man build upon this foundation, verse 12, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. I remember a sermon... I listened to years ago by Leonard Ravenhill, and he said, <laughs> he's always hard on the preachers, and he said, I think that the, the, uh, the gold and precious stones are the, the faithful servants and the ladies in the church that are servants that are just, because they're not seen. 
It's buried. Gold and precious stones are things that are buried. They're unseen. He said, we preachers are the stubble, hay, and wood. Everybody sees it, and it's, it's, it's there on top, Leonard Ravenhill was saying, but it's those precious stones. I'll tell you, one th- uh, on that, I remember right here, up, here at Bethlehem, if you're ever there, if you're ever driving by, swing in there and go to God's Acre. God's Acre is a beautiful cemetery of the Moravians that here were an incredible mission organization, mission machine there in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And on Easter, they would every day, Easter Sunday, would every, every Easter Sunday morning, would come around the, 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 the side of God's Acre and, and look at all those gravestones as seeds. And that's why they called it God's Acre, because they said on the resurrection morning, one of these days, they're all just kind of resurrect and come alive. And in the middle of that place, of all the incredible heroes, I mean, the incredible missionary endeavors, I just, I could tell you stories all night. But in the middle, every one of those tombstones are flat. Every one of them are flat, on the ground flat. No one's raised except one. And in the middle of that, that cemetery, God's Acre, you can see it, just, it's not up the, far up the road. In the center, it's a different center now. It was a center in the old one, but you'll see it in the way that's crossed out with the, uh, with the old stones. There's one stone that's raised, and it's the name, I think, something, um, uh, what's it name? Anna, oh, it'll hit me in a second. Nitz, Nitzman. And, um, and, as, and she was there. You, you look at it, you say, what, was she, what must she have done? What must she have done? It's just one tombstone that's raised, and, and what must she have done? I mean, this guy who was a missionary to, to, to you know, all over the place, he's not there, and this one who did this, and then, but this one woman's tombstone is raised. Why? You go to dig up the history on her? They said that she had such a servant's heart. It's manifested Christ more than all of us preachers and all of our... our um, our things, she represented that. And so we wanted to give her a place of honor in our God's acre. It's there. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to see. This foundation, all the fluff, all the sermons, all the things, not the, the, the little of the reading of the word of God, but you know what I'm saying. Without this gold and precious hidden stone of service, we're not going to be, able, we're not going to be planning the church that Jesus Christ wants us to. And I see that. I'm a student of history. I see the arc of history. And I see the the fads that come and go. And I see the coffee table revivals with all the great ideas. And even today, I guess a great idea. (laughs) Does it exist? (laughs) For, For what? For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. But the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I pray that my work that I'm wanting to build is done with this sort of hidden gold and hidden stones and hidden precious and not just being Mr. Wanting to see myself talked in the hay, the stubble, the wood just burns up. If any man's work abide, 
which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, Thank the Lord. Yet so by fire. I, I ponder this arc of history. And I, I would encourage us, I, 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 want, I want us to grasp this morning the special blessing and the special place that Mine Road has in this refugee ministry. You know, when I read uh, in history, John Funk was a man by the name John Funk. He was a, a Mennonite leader. Everyone in this room has been influenced by John Funk. The way we dress today, the way we read our Bibles today, everyone's been influenced by John Funk, whether you know it or not. He was a Mennonite leader in the, 18, in the 1890s, did the article that wrote the magazine, the, the Herald of Truth. And he was instrumental when all the Russian Mennonites were getting cast out as refugees coming to America. The Hutterites came, the Russian Mennonites came. John Funk was one of the main people that, that he got people and got churches to sponsor them and, and help them and got them going, and it made them where they didn't just lose their way. As a matter of fact, two-thirds of the Hutterites lost their way and did, and did not stay Hutterites, and now they've just lost, and, and we don't even, they're called um, prairie light. Light is the way they say loit. It's a light, the way Hutterish would say it. Prairie light, um, they're, they're, uh, they've just been lost because nobody helped sponsor them. So we're dealing now with that. So now you look at that histories from, from a, a few churches that made a difference. And now Mine Road is now Randall and Althea have permanent residence. They're putting roots down in Greece. They're planning a church there. And that's an extension of what we're doing here. And I, and I want you just to, to understand that and get that burden in your prayer and the support to them and, and understand that because we were, you know, before that, I think it's kind of fair to say what's going to happen. But now I think I'm really blessed by what, what has occurred now. And so then, closing the, the last point that I have here is just looking at, at now Mine Road and the generation that we're in the other, the other passage that came to my mind was one of my favorite passages of just sobering talk was in Numbers 23, and this is going to be my last point. <clears throat> and this is the story of compromise and the story of, of great, being a great people of God but then losing it. And I'll just read it to you. Numbers 23, verse 1, it says, this is the story of Balaam and Balak, you know, Balak was wanting them to curse, ba uh, curse Israel. Israel's coming on the promised land. And this is their time where they finally looked up to the serpent, uh, were healed, the, gold, the bronze serpent. Jesus leaves us as an example of a people that are walking in faith. Now they're on the road and they're finally being victorious and they're going and they're being strong in faith and going forward. And they're marching forward. And it's at that moment that Balak says, curse these people, I'm scared. They're going to hurt my kingdom. So, so now us. Now us here in Lancaster County and, and all these, these things, and we, well, a generation passes of people like, like Moe's and different ones. Young men, listen. This is the kind of fire we need, and watch how quickly we can lose it. We must be careful how we plant upon the foundation. Verse 1, And Balaam said to Balak, Build me seven altars and prepare me here seven oxen of seven rams. Well, he told Balak to make these altars, and this is where you can sacrifice, and I'll go up there and try to curse Israel. 
And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a Balak and a ram. And Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by the burnt offering, and I will go. Preadventure the Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he shows me to tell thee. And he went into the high place. And God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered upon every altar a Balak, a bullock, and a ram. Verse 5, And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return unto Balak, and thus thou shalt speak. And he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by this burnt offers, he and all his prince of Moab. You can see Balak just open that Israel got cursed, and he can go on, you know. And verse 7, And he took of his parable and and said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. And he says this. And listen, there's a lot of people wanting to curse the church today, right? We're living in some hard times, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say, I talked to my dad, and I said, Dad, you know, 2020 was tough. Was it like this in the 60s? And he said, the 60s were bad, but the 60s, you had your, your riots, and then they were over. You didn't have people taking over cities. He said, this is bad. This is much worse than we had in the 60s. And as people want to church, curse the church and curse the people of God, how are we going to stand? How are we going to build upon this foundation of why we even are here today? How shall I... And he says this in verse 8. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? And how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? So he sent him to curse the church. He said, how can I curse them? It's God can't, he can't give this to me. And he says this, for from the top of the rocks I see him. And from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. This is a separated people of God. These are people who are not reckoned among the nations. They're not getting involved in the politics of this world, either the left or the right. They're not getting involved with this. They're not of this world. They are a separated people. They are a two-kingdom people, and they're not to be reckoned among the nations. They're not to be included in the list of the nations. They are different. And he says, Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. So he went to curse him. But when people see a man who lived for God, and, you know, I went to the, the funeral yesterday. It was impressive. I mean, you know, I mean, I, Moses wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I had my run-ins and all those things, and it was hard. But he left. He was a man who tried to serve God his whole life. And you're looking at that, and you say, that's how I want to die. Young men, do you hear this? That's how I want to die. I don't want to be a, 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 with, reckoned among the nations. I want to be reckoned follower of Christ. And then people see that and say, wow, let me die the death of a righteous and let my last end be like this. And Balak said unto Balaam, what have you done? I took thee to curse my enemies and behold, you bless them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which is the Lord has put in my mouth? And Balak said unto him, Come, I pray thee, to another place. And he tried to take him up again, and, and up, and he went to there, and, and, he, and he eventually just said to him, There is no wickedness in Israel. 
And even though they had all these problems and all these sins and all these mistakes that they had made, when they were walking with God, when they were on this believing, they were looked up to the serpent, the, you know, in the, in the bronze serpent there, they were walking in faith and marching along, not being reckoned among the Israel. When God looked at him, he said, I see no wickedness in Israel and no sorcery can touch them. That's the protection of God. But watch how quick it stops. They tried, and they tried, and they tried, and they tried. It was in our reading today. I was blessed to see it in our Sunday school reading. How did Balaam finally pull this off? How? Let me ask you something. How many, I know, I won't even know, every one of you. I know every one of you that are, say, I'd say my age. Who, are, who here is 45 and up? <laughs> A lot of us, okay. Now, I would say that our generation and everyone above me, you would have went to jail. I know you would have. You would have went to jail to prevent having a television in your home, wouldn't you? If the government would have said, we're going to have a television, everyone has to have a television. They did do us in Romania. And when, when I was at Living Hope, we were having an orphanage there. They said, we're going we're to not let you get an, uh, be an orphanage unless you have a television. And so we said, okay, so we got a television. It didn't work, but we had a television. You know, it was a broken television. But we had one. But how many of you would have, you all would have went to jail for not having a television? But now, how many of you have one of these now in your pocket? And how many of your children have one of these? And I'll tell you what, I would have went to jail. I used to be at work, you know, in anesthesia, and one of the biggest questions that they would talk to me is, 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 you don't have a television. What do you do? And all those jokes that would come along and not, you know, people don't even marvel anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I barely watch TV anymore. I, either way, I just get online and I do this or that in the online. I'm saying that I see in my own children and in my generation and the, children, and the, and the generation after me that we did not see the, the, the strength of how quickly that came in and swept things away. And... And so I think that what we're trying to do and what I think that we need to raise up the standard with is being really, really honest with what we have today and how seductive the changes are. And I don't think we can keep up with the technology. Toasters have Wi-Fi nowadays. I mean, it's everywhere. And so how can we deal with this in a proper way? And so one of the things that, that, that I have been very burdened about is for us to start having some honest conversations. I, don't have, I, have, I love standards, I love filters, but I love standards and filters, and I love accountability. And so with, with my children, with our groups up in Boston, what I've been trying to do, and what we're doing in Lesbos Island with the refugees, is have accountability groups where we look into those young men who spend 20 hours a day in a refugee camp with a smartphone saying, what have you looked at recently? Have you looked at anything inappropriate and sinful and worldly. And we ask those questions back and forth, and it's so healthy. Christian Aid Ministry now has done this in this kind of accountability groups to, to all the international ministries around the world. And I think this is a very positive thing. And we need to walk in this. We need to talk and we need to discuss it. Because that strong, unstoppable army, next verse, ended. And then you go to chapter 25, 
all of a sudden you see everyone going off to the prostitutes and to the women there, and God brings a, a curse, himself brought a curse on Israel. Like that. How? We read today in our, in our, in our Sunday school lesson that Balaam taught them. He seduced them. He said, okay, it's not going to work to come against you strongly. I'm going to seduce you bit by bit by bit. And this is what happens to us. And we see that he even did it for money. It's, Jude 11 tells us he does it by money. So here we are today. <laughs> We're here looking at the arc of history. We're here looking at the, the closing of a, of a, a man, a ministry, a life thinking of all the strong words and all the different things and closing of that and then let, letting the sober stuff hit you like it should and then pondering the fresh and the new and that we have the opportunity to be a part of this work in Greece with these refugees that are Muslims coming to Christ in a way that is an opportunity that I did not know exist anywhere else. And so I want to encourage us in all this. And let's then read that scripture one more time, and then I'll kneel in prayer. Pondering mine road, too. Not just over there or over here, but here. The young generation, brothers. The older generation. Your sisters that are the hidden uh, and the servants' hearts. 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man buildeth thereon. Hopefully that will be the testimony of every one of us. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man and woman's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be, shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let's pray. That's all in the old prayer.